Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Hello and welcome back if you're a regular listener to the show. A very warm welcome if you're joining us for the first time. This podcast has been created to help leaders in higher education. My aim is to create a community that can learn and grow together. To do this, I need your help. The more people that download, subscribe, rate and review this show, the more the podcast algorithms will ensure it pops up across the globe. I love the community we are creating and together with your help, we can encourage even more people to join us. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to be speaking to someone I would describe as a bit of a superwoman. She launched and ran Specsavers in Northern Europe, leading it to become a market leader in the Netherlands. In 2019, she took a change in direction and set up her own business, Wise Minds, to help female entrepreneurs find purpose-led growth on their own terms. She also works with graduates who want to unleash their entrepreneurial spirit once they have left university. There is not much this woman does not know about leadership, and she has designed a fascinating concept called the Powerball. More on that later. This promises to be a corker of a conversation you are not going to want to miss. Please welcome the hugely talented Julie Perkins. Well, Mel, I don't think in my life I've ever been introduced in that way so fantastically. And I'm I'm quite honoured. At one stage, I thought, this is fantastic. I can't wait to listen to her. And then I realised you were describing moi. <laughs> so thank you. Thoroughly deserved. The pre-call that we had was incredible. I learned so much about you, especially when you just threw in, oh, I'm second generation spec savers. Uh, what does that mean? Oh, my mum and dad own spec savers. You what? <laughs> it's not a wonder you know a lot about leadership. But let's dive in. And perhaps it'd be really interesting for people to, I guess, to understand a bit of your career and why you set up Wise Minds and had this change in direction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you sort of sort of kind of introduced, I am a product of a high-paced entrepreneurial family. And um, I think sort of subconsciously you're part of leadership from a very young age. You know, nobody walks into your house and whinges about the boss at work because they're the boss. And, you know, so you start to really think about, you know, what does make a great company from a very early age? Um, you know, the gathering of people, the continual parties and positivity around a house of people coming in and being a part of it. And I think that really from an early age gave me that taste of uh, of leadership from gathering 
a lot of the right people together. And of course, Specsavers has grown on partnership. And that also taught me from an early age that if you want success, share success early, share wealth, share responsibility. And these things, of course, when I was 15, 16, and, you know, you pretend you don't care, but something you're absorbing all the time what it feels like. So I suppose now in my 50s, I'm a product of of that entrepreneurial style, but also that mix of success being a driver, of course, but also failure. And those times when you're in those extreme positions, I think that's when you learn leadership the most. And I'm the first to talk about that journey of when things didn't go to plan. So really sort of a driver, but a I suppose a recipe of failure, curiosity, and just being that that driver of knowing that there's always something that can be done better. There's always something that you can do in a better way. And I think that probably summarizes how then I went to open Specsavers in the Netherlands, where a lot of my successes, equally my failures as a leader, I was very young, uh, came to pass. And then in my 50s, chose to open my own company supporting female entrepreneurs. So that's kind of how I got there, a mixture of good drive and failures. (laughs) I love that. So many wonderful phrases there. Gathering lots of people together, sharing wealth and responsibility, a recipe for for failure and curiosity. I love that. Leadership is a recipe for failure and curiosity. How true is that? So where to start? So for you, and you've alluded to it, that sort of recipe for failure and curiosity Can you give us an example of that, of when you experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. As I said with my introduction, I don't hide it because Wise Minds and the company I've built now was based on a mixture of what went well and and what didn't. Because, you know, when you see female entrepreneurs or young leaders coming in, if we can give them a very honest viewpoint of the things that they face as early as possible, they can... I mean, you've got to learn from your own patterns, of course, but you can learn very quickly from other people's patterns of failure um, and success. And that's what I've tried to do with Wise Minds. But I think the really big story of my biggest learning, I think, was when I was sort of sat in the garden at 3 a.m. and I was opening up Specsavers in in the middle of the big recession, 2008 and 9. And in Northern Europe, in a sort of very highly competitive marketplace. It's a very lonely place to be. And I think I sat there, you know, hands to the air, as if I was asking my last resort, what more can I do? And and I went in the next day and I shared with my direct leadership team, who were a group of amazing people. I learned that from my mother. Always recruit and gather yourself by better people than how you define yourself. And I told them this story of, what happened and how I ended up at 3am in the morning. And I said, you know, what more do we do? And of course, the answer is, Julie, stop doing so much. And I think that was this journey of them telling me to basically make myself redundant and to reposition myself in a new position. So basically, 
very young leadership, holding on tight. And if you look at growth as a series of waves in any project you're on, I had one foot on the wave of the five years and another foot on the company that was growing forward. So there was nothing wrong with the concept, of course. It was a proven concept. But what happens is you've got your foot on both ways and then slowly I was drowning in the middle and being slapped on the head by the wave that was trying to gallop past. And I think that was my very first honest conversation about failure and how you can go to the feedback of others. I get what you're saying. Mm. I accept what you're saying. And how do we do it? I mean, of course, it wasn't instant. I'm going to be honest. It took me a bit of reflection. I'm not that much of an angel. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, eventually when you actually begin to understand and that you open yourself to listen to others, it was so true. I, I was building a company around me and it was still a very young company. And the fear of the recession and debt and money makes you hold tight. But really, success is from creating the space. But when you're a young entrepreneur, you know, and you're holding on to this baby Mm. that you've built, it's a very hard thing. And, you know, at the beginning, it's an ugly baby and you're the only one that loves it. And it's trying desperately to grow up and you're still trying to nurture it as it was in the beginning. So I think that was that very first failure of leadership, the hardest lesson which is space, and that quite often when you're in a problem and you're always looking around, whose fault is it, what's gone wrong, what's wrong with the concept, it's not clear enough in the marketplace, is the very first question as the leader is, what am I doing? Mm. And I think as a young leader, that's a very hard question to do, especially where you feel so responsible is what are you doing that could be better? And then the journey went because I was felt so comfortable with this group of people. We're still friends today, you know, that said, make yourself redundant. Are you still doing what you love and love what you do? What position do you want to be giving yourself in that new wave? And what's that team that you leave behind to look after the older wave? not to let it go, but to understand what trust is. And that's all about sharing purpose and values, which was the beginning of our 12-month journey to a market leadership position, which was, you know, with no more marketing, not spending a penny. We were spending quite a lot of money, but we weren't spending any more because of it. It started to grow because people had the space to be the best that they could be. And I had the space to be the best leader because I was happy. Yeah, I was in joy. And that was... I think the biggest lesson of leadership I had was leadership is about trust and the space to let go. And I notice I haven't said the word delegation because it's not about delegation because, you know, people go delegate, delegate. Well, until you create trust and a unity and a purpose and a shared way of celebrating, you can't delegate. You're too into it. You can't give up this growing child to somebody else there's got to be a purpose a like-minded sharing of purpose and trust so that's why I haven't said delegate I love that so united by your purpose and your values helps build that trust yeah yeah definitely especially what you celebrate yeah 
And the concept you've talked about quite a bit, and it's a really interesting one. And I'd be really keen to understand how, well, I think leaders of any, not just young leaders, but people that have been in their career a lot, that space to let go. Because actually, when most people do hear the problem, it's like, right, we need to have a meeting and we need to be here and we need to thrash it out. Crisis room. Yes. Put it on walls. Exactly. Exactly. And yet, actually, from what I'm taking from that, is you, it's almost like the polar opposite of that. Have I got that correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that the, the problem that we had, obviously, multitude was holding on. It's not just happening overnight. But it really starts off with what you celebrate as a team. And I know that sounds really, oh, right, so you just have a party. I don't mean by celebrating. It's that we had incredible people, but it's creating a unity. That's step one, a unity in purpose. And just going back to the sort of the crisis is that everybody loves a crisis. Why does everybody love a crisis in leadership? Because it's got a purpose. A crisis, it's got a measure. And it's exciting and it's doing something different. And everyone's got the space to come together, whatever your function is, and get involved. And, you know, we were brilliant at crises at Spexes. We used to make up names, project this and project that. But actually, if you create that way of doing things in your everyday work, you don't need necessarily, we're always going to have these, these projects, but those projects of change and crisis shouldn't be more exciting than what you do every day. So take the leadership learning of the the crisis room, where there is always a role for, and translate it into what you do every day to create the purpose, the space, so that everybody around there that you're leading can be the best that you can be. And you can open up functions. You know, there's no hierarchy of functions. Yet I celebrated record weeks. So I was creating a hierarchical of functions because marketing and advertising and communication thought that they were above leadership development, human resources and stuff, because it was all about the marketing message, the price, you know. Mm. But actually, when you create a unified celebration, which is what's what are we trying to change? And we dropped record weeks and we moved more into what's the likelihood of that customer returning in two years, which was something that the 1,700 people could share equally. Nobody owned it. It doesn't matter if you were at reception and picked up the phone. It didn't matter if you were in the stores or you were marketing. Nobody owned it more than anyone else. So we dropped this hierarchy of function, um, which sometimes was hard for, you know, the marketeers who like to own it. But of course, there's space for that. But we all owned equally the crisis room. The crisis room was just happened to be the company. And we equally celebrated and we measured the likelihood to return in two years. And everybody then knew their contribution. It was equal, whatever your role was. And we basically retrained, refocused and had the conversations on the purpose and values. And I weaned myself out. So it happened that I was leading the brand, the purpose, the values, et cetera which we put together called the Powerball. It wasn't called the Powerball then. But that was my job, me and my Powerball. It was kind of like in terms of my partnership. And number one, I didn't feel as lonely. Powerball. You know, it's it's that whole thing. There wasn't the blame culture. There wasn't the, 
it's your fault, it's my fault, it's this. It was, what are we doing as a team? Because we celebrated as one. There was no individual celebrations, which sounds very miserable, but we didn't need it because the meetings had a more cross-functional view. So actually learning and development and training was sometimes more important than the message itself, but it was equal. And everybody in the meetings had to contribute towards the common goal, which meant equal contribution. But that means the people that have sat back in meetings before, like X, Y, and Z, everybody had to step in. You earned your chair and the table because purpose was shared by everybody. And it was just, it was a game changer, as simple as it sounds, because then you have that confidence to be the leader that you are and to delegate to people who share the vision, share the purpose, the values equally. It's just a much more broader way of discussing and a much more enjoyable way of working, to be honest. Mm. Uh, you know, there, there were many little examples, which obviously we talk about the Powerball, I'll throw in because you kind of think, oh my goodness, it's obvious. <laughs> it's so interesting because what you're saying and my own leadership journey was that I started with a very small team and I had a, a big team. Wasn't wasn't 1,700 people big team, but it, mm. it was a big team. And there was always that argument, well, you have a small team, so you can do it. And actually, people listening to this may be managing small teams, they may be managing large teams. But actually, what you're showing is that that approach can work irrespective of the size of the organisation. But someone needs to hold that vision or the group need to collectively hold that vision that they have this shared purpose and that everyone contributes equally to it. Yeah, absolutely. As I say to entrepreneurs, I mean, I'm working with very early stage entrepreneurs. So it's often them, maybe a co-founder, an intern. Uh, they're still bootstrapping a lot. So you get a lot of people working part-time, suppliers in there, really diverse ecosystems. But what we do is we use it to say, because I say, as long as it's more than you, then it has a role. And they said, I'm not sure, because I feel a bit on my own. I go, do you have customers? They go, yeah. So you're not on your own. Because the relationship with the customer has to be aligned because their needs are changing. So therefore, you need to stay aligned with them. No one's ever on their own, you know, in business. So it's very sort of small teams and big teams. It doesn't matter. It's about where you unite. And of course, as individuals, we've all got our own personal values. What's important to us? And of course, during COVID, I think we dug those out of the uh, the the box I haven't bothered to think about for the last you know decade. And I think we all sort of asked ourselves, what do we want from this world? What do we want from life? So now they've never been as strong as ever with people. So this role of the company, the organization, whether it's small or big, you know, has now got to accommodate other people's fulfillment and you know what we discovered over the past two years about importance. So it's even more important that a company has very clearly defined purpose and values because you've got these people who are really clear on their values now and they're trying to find where they fit. And are your values fitting with theirs? And if you don't have them, they'll just create their own values and sit and be incredibly wonderful, but very ineffective towards your vision. So you want to see what you can magnetize 
to them? Where are they linking their values into? And I think that's very, very important because recruitment of your team has changed as well. You know, some of the best recruitment ads that I'm running at the moment are done purely on values. This is our values. Do you share them? So we don't even ask about skill. So this connection to values and the leadership of values of yourself and your company become incredibly important in today's organization and the world. And it doesn't matter if it's small, it doesn't matter what your ecosystem is, whether it's a university, college, or a business as we see them, retail, service, online, you name it. The label doesn't matter. If you're gathering people together, it's a very important aspect. I always challenge people go, yeah, but I'm developing a microchip. And I go, what are you going to use it for? A Martian on the moon? No. Then it's for a human. It's still got a human end. So that's still part of your journey. So mm-hmm. it's always for something. Brilliant. Brilliant. So you alluded to it and I alluded to it in my introduction. The Powerball. The Powerball. <laughs> yes. Do you know, everybody had projects during COVID lockdown. You know, I think everyone sort of thought, well, what am I going to do? I didn't think we realised it was going to be so long. But I joined a couple of people because we were obviously in the Netherlands, could go out, but not. Um, And we spent the three months of the initial lockdown developing this Powerball because I thought to myself, what can we do to, at that time, save businesses? You know, a lot of people were shopping for people or doing good. I thought, well, well, how can I be useful? So we thought we put this message out saying, does anyone want their business saved or, you know, we'll give you a hand, you know, and um, we got responses. And I was like, oh, right. Um, okay." now (laughs) I didn't know what I expected. I thought, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to do something now. And so we developed this Powerball as if to say, what are you aligning to? Because for clarity of message. And the thing was during COVID, when people had real choice about what to spend their money on and what not to, I think you had to be very, very pure with your message, very clear, and it had to be super worthwhile. And that's really what we did at Specsavers back in the time when the recession, we had to literally clear out everything and make sure that everything we did focused on that core message. So I thought, is there a way that I can take that learning of that recession and make it into something that young entrepreneurs can pick up who are trying to create clarity? You know, the only thing that matters. And we created this Powerball, which was what are truly your four growth drivers that make a business that's aligned, a purpose-led organization and I don't mean the purpose led why people say yes we do this we do this the actual purpose that's embedded in a company that becomes a part of the decisions you make the part of your future your you can virtually smell it it's that tangible so we developed the power which is the alignment horizontal and vertical of the purpose relationship with your customer the way that you work, your customer journey, being customer first, your team and what you celebrate together, how you put those people together so that they can have the space that you want. So that means often making the founder redundant to begin with and putting them back in just like me (laughs) and really clarifying what are you here for? What's the purpose and how do you measure that success? So we created the Powerball in 16 questions and the growth evaluation 
which, you know, when the entrepreneurs came to me during COVID, they were like, okay, right, we need to save it, um, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, money's important. So I said, okay, how much money do you have? How many months could you survive on current whole things? So we used to work out a very small budget. So we said, right, that's that. So now we know it's not money driven for the next three months. Now we're going to focus on, and they always used to think I'd go advertising, marketing. Of course, it's important. But the right messages and the beginning of that is the origin of who you are. And it was just this beautiful journey of how to get the founder out of their own business in crisis, which is the complete opposite to what an entrepreneur does. Mm. But actually, just like me, it was the true answer to be able to lead the crisis in that case. Mm. And to be able to grow. And of course, they went on with the space between them and their company that when the world did change back, they're now leading their business, not leading from within. And uh, that's been a big change. And the Powerball is measured by its percentage inflation and deflation. So if you're deflated, I would say you got all these forces hitting you left, right and center with a deflated. Imagine it as a football trying to push through its squash. When it's inflated, it can really be your power of growth. And it's this simplistic way of thinking, me and my Powerball, of what you align and, and how you make choices. What, what's the block? Where is the deflation? Mm. And quite often it can be you've got the wrong supplier or you're not aligned with a team member or perhaps you've over-engineered your message. And it just helps to make those very initial conversations and to help you lead clarity. Mm. Once you get clarity, you've got growth, you've got the space to grow. And, you know, we'd had this conversation about everything being businesses, whether it's universities, higher education and stuff like this. And the world today is all about ecosystems, much more complex. There's no sort of old fashioned hierarchy half the time. So it's this beautiful way of trying to align the best of everybody when not everybody reports into you. Mm. You can't have a meeting and go, hello, this is my leadership. This is what we'll do. You know, you've got to try and naturally take this broad view of leadership. And, you know, even my suppliers that I work with today for Wise Minds, mm. they know the Powerball as well as I do. Because, you know, when you go in a, something's not working, we don't go, it's me, it's you, it's I, it's that we start off by going, oh, where are we deflating? Mm. And it's a much more pleasant way of having a difficult conversation. Yeah. And we, and we talked about that in the pre-call again, about the idea of the Powerball, not just working for entrepreneurs, but teams or people that are having to work collaboratively, which is often what they have to do. Well, in many organisations, but especially in universities and academia but having that idea that actually we're all responsible for the powerball we've all got our hands on it and we can feel that it's deflating or we can feel that it's inflating and and what do we need to do and it is that way of bringing everyone together yeah so when you launch this idea to young leaders entrepreneurs what is their initial reaction to it? Well, it's funny because they do the questionnaire and then it comes back and they can read it and, you know, and it gives them initial ideas about where they could look. And it gives them the outcome of what could be happening in their business because they're misaligned. 
So we do the Powerball, but we also do the Kite, which is how you support it with organizational structure, how you make decisions and how you create value. And they go, oh my goodness, that that is me. And I say, yes, because you're unique, but the way businesses grow is not. There are known patterns of the way businesses grow. So automatically they go, oh my goodness. So it's not just me and my leadership. I'm not being rubbish or I'm not failing. No, you're actually exactly where you need to be. Because now you know where you are, you can start predicting the patterns and undo it. And, you know, the everyday challenges that sometimes leaders face where perhaps functions or in the case of universities, departments don't work together. And it's, you know, I'll give you the example just to, you can map it out. But I remember doing a massive summer promotion launch and marketing got this amazing record sales. So, of course, what we're doing, we're all celebrating, you know, the hierarchy of genius from marketing but we hadn't ordered enough product to cover the entire weeks that the promotion was on, for example. So marketing brain product and the stores brain product and product brains marketing. And it's a conflict. It's negative energy. And I'm stood there as the leader going, oh, my goodness. Oh, don't worry. And all this stuff. And I just think if that team had sat down with the Powerball, what's the purpose? How do we unite you can have a broader conversation that brings in more people, for example, to make it very Peter and Joan, Yip and Yannicka. You know, that's what can happen. And when you get conflicts and functions, it's never going to be solved. It's always going to leave a bad taste. No one ever walks out, unless they're the winners, and thinks, oh, do it better next time if they're the ones that have taken the hit. Mm. But with the Powerball, we nickname it a bit like the blame ball. Once you push something into third position... It's everybody's responsibility. And therefore, you have a joint conversation because the center, the leader, is purpose, is the vision. What does that purpose mean? What are we going to do with it? I mean, it sounds a little bit too good to be true, but you'll have a much more effective conversation. It doesn't mean someone's not there doing the next steps, by the way. You know, we still have a functional role. But what we come together and how we bring projects together comes from a higher level so it means that everybody uplifts and has space mm. and I think in this world of more ecosystem style teams now or, or even with people working at home and working in the office that situation you've got a unity without having to spell it out mm. without having to put that through and uh, it's funny because I mentor, as you mentioned at the beginning, graduates or near graduates from uni. And I had a couple around the other day and they were interviewing me about life of as an entrepreneur. And I said, um, so what's the purpose of this? And they were like, well, because I get graded, you know, in terms of that. I said, no, but what's the real purpose? And I tried to take them up the hierarchy. They said, it's really interesting. I said, because if you set a small purpose or a goal for every meeting that you have as high up as you can, your questions will be different. They might even be better. And that actually, if you create a big purpose, it brings you more a broader subject and you may even enjoy it more because grades are great, but they're an outcome of you being genius in the actual assignment. So it was just beautiful things. So we stopped and did it again. And then we talked more about the purpose of why they're interviewing me. You know, it's a very simple example, but that's how we can try and get people to look broader to other than the tasks that they're given. 
And I think that's very important in the sort of ecosystem that a lot of these graduates are going to be walking into about that self-responsibility. You need to know where you fit in. And that's not always on a sort of capability level. You know, I am in PR, I am in this. You need to understand this joint journey above yourself. And I think that's such an important leadership lesson for young people about seeing the bigger picture because they're going on this incredible world for themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you're saying there as well, and the research shows that young graduates are coming out, whether they're going down the entrepreneurial route or going to work for another organisation. Actually, they want to work with organisations that share their values. And it's not about creating clones, but it's about creating that commonality that brings people together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's such a beautiful way about the word clone. I think people fear that unity because they think they'll be a clone. And I said, the whole thing is you'll never be a clone because there's only one of you. And that's why the very first part of my program, and I think it would just be amazing if there would be a lesson in schools or university about it, is defining your personal purpose and values as a starting point. And of course, we're always evolving, but the very first thing I do with our entrepreneurs is who are you? Because unless you know who you are, you can read as many leadership books as you want, but what are you hanging it off? Because you can't become the book. So you're coming to get ideas. This is you. Before you know what leader you're going to be, you need to know who you are. Because this isn't about making clones of leaders, you know, in terms of this. You're a leader already as a, as a young person. You're a leader of yourself. And if you know how to lead yourself, you can then look upon yourself to others. And then you could read 30 leadership books and go, oh, that's a great idea. But you put them on you. You don't just absorb and then today I'm going to be Covey. Today I'm, and then tomorrow I'm going to be this. You're trying to create a pattern that's recognisable for you as a leader. Who are you as a leader? Who are you first? I love that. Month one of my leadership programme, that one. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. No, but it's so true. Then I feel I feel honoured that we're aligned because <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Because, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't do anything unless you know yourself and understand yourself. And I think that's a journey that actually, if you look at, we tend to get there eventually in our 40s or 50s. Yeah. But actually, if we can bring that forward for people to have that experience as early as possible, then we are creating, you know, really powerful leaders of tomorrow and not letting life get eventually get us there. And some people never get yeah. there. No, no, some people don't. You know, I love that conversation about the role models because, you know, I, I said I come from a very high-paced entrepreneurial family. I, I had these two incredible role models for my entrepreneurial life. But it took me a while to realise to establish me first because you've just got these role models and you're like, there, there that's the way of doing it. And they were very successful and that is the way of doing it for them. And, you know, to develop your own voice and then absorb what your role models can bring you is incredibly important because authenticity as a leader, it has to be who you are. And especially with some of the younger women I work with um, who have doubts of can they achieve or what they're doing. I said, but you've got one thing that you know that's stronger than anything. And they're like, what, what, what? You. And once you can define it, your voice and turning passion 
into a purpose is incredibly important because when you're passionate, it's emotion, it's drive. And yes, of course you want to save the world. I work with a lot of sustainable companies. You want to save the world. You want to make it better for future generations. And I love that. But you need to translate it into a purpose that brings other people with you so that your passion isn't overwhelming. And just doing that, their values, how to put it into the values of their company, calms, clears the space and brings curiosity for others to join rather than before they're explaining it. It's like goes on for about 20 minutes and you think, I love it. Um, They seem to know what they're doing and being there. But when you just give people a taster, you make them curious to go, I like that. I want to join that. And there's space because people can understand it and they're trying to link their values onto a great idea, not a person, a great idea. And I think this beautiful way of turning passion, which I used to wear as a badge of honor. Oh, gee, she's so passionate. I go, oh, thank you. But I think to a lot of people, that was tremendously, probably fairly overwhelming. And I think when you can bring that into a defined purpose of who you are as a leader, it makes you predictable. And people like predictability. You know, it's like a door handle. When they press the door handle, the door handle is supposed to go down and open the door. And that predictability is human. That's what we look for. And that's part of being a leader is being predictable, reliable. But you have to define yourself first. Yeah, totally agree. Completely and utterly. So when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Well, I think I've talked about the recession uh, very much with Specsavers. And of course, I dove deep there. But in fact, even though it's nothing to do with business, I think my biggest business challenge, which is going to sound very surprising when I say, was when I needed to manage cancer. And I thought to myself, what am I good at? When you first hear that noise, you have got no idea who you're going to be. But when you first hear those words, you think, what am I good at? I'm good at running businesses. And I actually went on to run cancer to myself not to everybody it's not like I had a flip chart as a business so I had that purpose I had the roles I had everybody mapped out of course the most amazing oncologist friends and family with the fan clubs and you know and started to build a strategy around it what's my job description and this can sound very embarrassing I actually wrote myself a little job description you will turn up as your best you will try and take a picture every day of something that's joyful. And and I ran it like a business and I ran it like the Powerball, even though, of course, it's not. But I think I had to dig very with depth there. But I think that gave me security to be aligned to what I knew I was good at, which was building businesses. What could I take from that that brings me a feeling of being in control? But of course, you're never in control of anything, but it gives you that feeling. I felt that I was contributing towards my health and well-being. That was very important for me. So this powerful and this way of trying to align teams and where you sit into it, you know, whether it's leading the business small, big or medium or crisis in other parts of your life, it's a, a beautiful way of perhaps looking at it. Um, and I think that's where I dove very deep. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure that will be hugely helpful to people out there that are facing their own challenges outside mm. of work and and how they they deal with them and and it also 
makes me feel absolutely right in labeling you as a superwoman <laughs> because you, you know that positivity and that ability to find what worked for you in order to be able to battle that so oh, thank you amazing thank you when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree <laughs> well uh, funny enough as an entrepreneur you're on a roller coaster all the time and when I worked for Specsavers even though it was a recession it was a crisis out here you know that you're part of a bigger function. Uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you're very much on your own. So I think it's very much um, a daily basis of the challenge of being a fish climbing up that tree, the challenges in there. Um, I think social media for me and actually marketing my own business was a huge one. I, I normally had a team that did that. Um, and I think leadership of myself was a big thing. And so I took my values uh, coming back and I had this pal called Martha and it would be, what would Martha do? And I would always try and picture Martha with my values going, if she's living her absolute values, how would she cope with this? How would she go into networking? How would she open up her own Instagram account, which was horrifying to me? And it gave me something to aim for. As much as it sounds really she's going, Martha, I could. So it's a way of trying to grow yourself through your values when you're on your own. And uh, I love the name Martha. If I ever have a girl, I would call her Martha. But I had a what would Martha do? And I still use it to the day when I've got to go into a networking or something or do a presentation that makes me really nervous. I always go, right, what would Martha do? And I write this quarter of a little page about this journey Martha would have with obviously my values. I'm not writing about somebody else, you know. What would Martha do? And it's like a little aim. I go, okay, so I'm now going as well. And then eventually, of course, you don't go in as Martha. You you merge into yourself. But it gives you like a little picture to to kind of, yeah, manifest a little bit. So I, I often do that, uh, which helps me push because constantly there's always something with entrepreneurship that makes me incredibly uncomfortable and, and very not me. So, um, yeah, what would Martha do? So you climb the tree. Your climbing partner is Martha to get up that tree. Yes. I love it. Definitely. Love it, love it, love it. Who will be my climbing partner? <laughs> I, shall, I shall ponder on that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I knew this was going to be a corker of a conversation. I mean, so much content, so many brilliant ideas in there. Thank you so, so much for sharing those with me. How can people get in touch, find out more about you, about your company? Wiseminds.com. And it's wise with a Y because the young person told me to use a Y, not an I, because I would make me old, cheeky, but I listened. Uh, Wiseminds.com. Um, and on there, you can actually look for the growth valuation. So if you fancy doing your Powerball, even if you're a member of a team, you know, just where it says company, just put team. A team is a company within a company. So have a go, find out how aligned your Powerball is, have a bit of fun. So that's number one. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Wise Minds or Julie Perkins. But what would be fun? Just have a go at your Powerball, see what your inflation is. And you mentioned as well, Instagram. You've got your Instagram account. Mustn't forget that. I do. I have it there. I have it as my little nemesis. <laughs> but Martha has one. So one must keep up with it. <laughs> 
I'm just getting to grips with Instagram. So it must, yeah, <laughs> it must be ladies of a certain age is all I'm saying with that I one. So. I saw this. Are people interested in this? <laughs> I know, I know. But I keep getting told that I should. So, okay, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. I will put all those links in the show notes. So, um, yeah, again, thank you so, so much. I have loved, loved, loved chatting with you. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? I think as a leader, it has to be, you know, to ask yourself the questions about blocks. It has to be about who am I as a leader and have I got enough space between me and what I'm doing? That space is the biggest golden nugget that you'll have and it gives room for everybody to be the best that they can be. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive Deep, Climb High, can-do leadership in a world of can't.